quiet just then. Let me pray, and we'll get right into this. So, Father, we pray that you would bless this time. We've come here to worship you, coming to seek your face. We've come here to encounter you. We've come here to um, learn your word, Lord, and let it speak to our hearts, change our lives, and be formed into your image. And we pray that you would do that in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you're joining us for the first time, we have been going through the book of James, and it's been a cool journey, but it's also been kind of like a slap in the face every week, and then the theme changes, and there's a slap in the face the other week, and that's just how the book is. And a little context, this is Jesus' brother, Jacob, taking Jesus' teachings and applying them to the church of his day, which was mostly Jewish believers, maybe even entirely Jewish believers that he's writing to. They found themselves in a difficult position where their faith now all of a sudden was not, it was making their lives more difficult, both by the Roman government that they're around and by even the other Jewish people that were saying, you're following this Jesus thing, so we're going to kind of cut you out. And they weren't being persecuted to the level of dying for their faith. It just made their life more uncomfortable. They were getting cut out of business deals and not invited to things and looked down upon. And I think you can find a lot of application to that situation, to us as Christians in the increasingly post-Christian nation that we find ourselves in in a lot of ways, whether or not our culture is definitely moving in that direction or has moved in that direction. Um, that if, you, if you're a Christian, that doesn't garner you social capital, meaning, I'll translate that because that didn't make <laughs> that letting somebody know you're a Christian doesn't make the general population always go, wow, that means you're a really good person. It's increasingly more like, wow, you're a bigoted, or wow, you're judgmental, or wow, you're, you're, you know, these kinds of words. And that's frustrating to the person who experiences that because you go, I don't feel like that about myself. And then that makes you kind of maybe want to react to that. And this book is a list of different scenarios in our lives, different aspects of our lives, and examples of how Jesus might approach that situation. So it's almost a what would Jesus do book for us as Christian people in our lives right now. I'm saying all that, I know a lot of you are like, we've been here every week and you keep saying the same thing. I'm just saying it so that you'll keep remembering that because it's an important context. And a lot of this is absolutely universal. Like these are Jesus' teachings repackaged in a kind of application usually. This one's pretty... Is shorter, but it's still still pretty right on as far as uh, um, our current situation. And we'll get into that a little bit. Dalton, why don't you come up here? This, I like to have somebody, while we're going through James, just read the chunk that we're doing that day, and then I'll talk about it. Uh, this one is not as long, but Dalton does good reading, and his voice makes things sound more special. <laughs> Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. 
But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Amen. So, as we've been going through James, I've mentioned before, James isn't exactly a book that's like um, you have to, to uh, translate or interpret a whole lot. It kind of just says what it's saying. You know, it's like, okay, I get what that means. The, the, the issue for us is application. So what I'm going to be spending most of the time doing here is helping us apply this because the temptation, if you're like me, and I spend a decent amount of time thinking and praying about these things coming into it, is you try to hear something like this, and like I said, they kind of feel like, and you try to like wiggle around so it's like hits your neighbor. <laughs> you know, you're like, oh, you missed me. He's talking about you again and all those things you do. And we've talked about how that's the wrong approach to this book. That's not how we should be hearing that. So when we're thinking of other people around us, it does apply to them too. But predominantly, we should be focusing on ourselves as we're reading through this, okay? And this one's going to be tough. It's like the tame. I mean, they've all been tough. But um, all right, so just, let's just go through it briefly. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done with humility and wisdom. So this is coming right after, if you remember last week, this taming your tongue bit of like what you do and who, what you say kind of poisons everything in your life, um, and who can tame their tongue and all this kind of stuff. So he's starting to kind of give the answer to that. He's like, all right, well, if you want to be wise, this is how you do it. And, he, and, he's, um, and what was going on was a lot of the religious leaders at that time were disagreeing, as Kevin pointed out a couple weeks ago, about what to do about this situation. You know, people wanted to take matters in their own hands. Other people wanted to have a revolution, you know, and they did eventually, and it didn't go well. And so it's like, what am I supposed to do about that? And so he's starting to say, okay, you, you think you're wise, these guys that are arguing about it? Let's... And let's show it by living this good life with deeds done in humility. And so we're going to have to take a second to go through this. And guys, men especially, I want you to listen to this. Because this is going to be hard for everyone, but this part is very hard for men. And I'm right there with you. So, but we're going to walk through it. Let me get all the way through, and then you can be frustrated or whatever. Or, but hopefully you'll be uh, happy about what this is. Because the translation here, deeds done in humility... The words there actually mean meekness. Meekness. So he's like, if you're wise, show me by your meekness. And you're like, man. So how many guys, when you hear a phrase like that, go, that's me. I want to si sign me up for that all day, right? All right? I mean, are we being honest? Are we being honest here? Okay. So meekness. But we need to, <laughs> we need to have some clarity about what these words. So if you just Google meekness, because he's like, okay, I mean, it's in the Bible, right? I mean, okay, so what is that? Here's what you get, right? Go to this definition, meekness. Meekness, quiet, gentle, easily imposed on, and submissive. How many men, like, we want to do that? Now, if this is true, right, if this is true, that if you're wise, show me by your meekness. And if meekness means something like this, is that difficult? I mean, are we being honest here? That's hard for me. I don't go, man, that sounds like everything. I want. Like, especially the easily imposed on. I'm like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know. But, but, if 
it's in the Bible, let's keep moving. So let me explain why you're having, I think, I can't speak for everyone, I think you're having a hard time with this um, the way I would, is that you're confusing the word meekness with timidity, which is also another biblical word. So put this one up. Do I have a definition for that one? This one, when you Google it, the definition pops up, lack of courage or strength, okay? Now, I don't know. I'm, again, I'm not going to speak for everybody, but I'm probably thinking the emotional reaction to if you're wise, show it by your meekness, and you go, geez, that's a definition. I don't know if I, what are you talking about? Your mind and your feelings were probably going more to this, lack of courage or strength. And I will say, put an asterisk right here. Well, first, first off, I'll say they're not the same thing, okay? So let's establish the difference between these two things. And a biblical difference. Uh, in 2 Timothy, you actually have a, uh, a warning, sort of, for the Spirit of God gave us, for the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, right? But gives us power, love, and self-discipline. How many of you are like, all right, I'm back. I'm back. I like all those words. I don't know what's the, uh, um, so you have this, this struggle. So, so I will say they are different, right? So we're going to start establishing the difference here. Meekness. So a better definition, I've actually, um, you've heard this before, uh, but that definition I gave, gosh, I, don't, I think we're going to throw this microphone out after this week. I think there's something wrong with it, but we will finish today with it. <sighs> okay, so, um, Lost my train of thought. Okay, so meekness, yes. So a be that definition I gave you, the Googled one, is accurate. Okay? Hold on to that. The whole, like, easily imposed on and everything, that's accurate. It's not wrong. That's not like, well, that's the world's definition in this woke culture. That's not what it is. This is, this is actually what the word means. Okay? Y'all hear what I'm saying? And it's actually okay. And it is actually what the Bible is saying. The Bible isn't saying to be timid. So it is not saying that. So it's not the same as being powerless. A better definition, though, just so you hear what the word means, maybe it gets through, it breaks through <laughs> that barrier that a lot of us are feeling, especially the guys, is this one. Meekness is power under control for the sake of good, okay? How many like that, right? Now, here's where the asterisk comes in, especially for the men. I'm sorry, I keep talking to the guys today, but it's just the way it is. This is the, it's the Bible. We ran into it. If you are meek, like the Bible is telling you to be, controlling your power for the sake of good, like if you're going to be wise, show us by controlling your power for the sake of good. You think you can do that? But with the power, self-control, and all that stuff we just read about, it wasn't divinity, you know? You can do that. A lot of people will call you timid. That's the asterisk. There are different things. God is calling us to this one, which is incredibly powerful and difficult. And we're going to get into the Jesus part of it at the end, where he totally exemplified all of this stuff. But when you do it, people will go, he's timid. And what they mean by that is a lack of courage or what is it? What did it have? Lack of courage or strength. So you will know and God will know that you are strong, have self-control and all these things. And other people, not all of them, but a lot of them, there's a good chance will think you are, uh, go back to the other one, <laughs> you have no courage and you're weak. Can you handle that? Okay? 
This is a hub. This is a tough one. This one's tough for me. I'll just be very frank. And is this biblical? Am I twisting words? I'm not. And it's throughout the whole Bible. You can look and see as an example here in Numbers with Moses, where Moses is God's guy leading the Israelite people. And um, we're looking to go through Exodus next spring, just a little heads up. So we'll, but Moses, I mean, Moses' situation is so, like, he, he encounters God face to face, you know. But things aren't always going so great. And there's a point where Aaron, his brother, and his sister, Mir- like, they're, they're like, who do you even think you are? Like, God speaks to us, too. And they have this challenge to him in Numbers 12. Miriam and Aaron began to, began to talk against Moses because of his Cushite wife, for he had married a Cushite. Has the Lord spoken only through Moses, they asked? Hasn't he also spoken through us? And the Lord heard this. Now, if I was Moses, I would have been kind of frustrated by that. And I might have been angry. And I might have said something, you know. And like, remember, you know, but there's a parenthesis in this Bible that tells you a little bit about what's going on in verse 3. In parentheses. Now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. That's quite a parenthesis right there. At once, the Lord said to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, come out of the tent of meeting, all three of you. So all three of them went out. So then God handles business right there. The point of this isn't that, you know, Moses gets walked on. The point is that God took care of everything. And Moses trusted God enough to, to let him do that. Do you understand what I'm saying? That ain't easy. <laughs> it depends on where the situation you're in. The overall lesson is here, the controlling your tongue thing, okay, you want to control your tongue? Show us through your meekness. Show us, don't tell us. Let's go with that, right? And living this good life. Show it by your good life and the meekness you have that comes from wisdom. So then he starts to go, okay, I'm going to help you understand the pieces of this. Bitter, so, it, but if you harbor bitter envy, selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or don't, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom, and he puts that in quotation marks, which means wisdom, you know, such wisdom does not come, <laughs> does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual demonic. So that, you know, that's a pretty tough list right there. Because earthly and unspiritual, you're like, yeah, that sounds like non-church words. And then demonic, you're like, whoa, okay. Escalates quickly there. Um, The religious leaders of their day were claiming that the zeal they had and their passion was of God. Like this was wisdom from God. We should be wise, take these matters in our own hands and do the things we need to do to throw these people over. And the violent revolutionaries were claiming their actions were wise. And James is saying like, no, you need to wait on God, like Moses did. And then he goes into this core verse. This is like the whole thing. And this is the kids' memory verse this week. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. I'm going to read it again because this is the core thing. You can just write this down, underline it. This is a good one to memorize. If you want to memorize a, a verse like the kids are memorizing it, this is a good one. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. Not some, every. So essentially you have this, this math equation of sorts that envy and selfish ambition lead to disorder and every evil practice. 
So a couple more definitions, just since we were Googling things. Um, I know you all know what all these things are, but it helps to kind of go through them again. Envy, a feeling of discontented or resentful longing aroused by someone else's possessions, qualities, or luck. These are Google definitions, so don't get all selfish. Let's go to that. Selfish, lacking consideration for others, concerned chiefly with one's own personal profit for pleasure. Profit or pleasure, sorry. And then ambition, a strong desire to achieve something, typically required, re typically requiring determination and hard work. So it's not too hard to understand any of this, but um, just to kind of put these definitions together, envy and selfish ambition is like when you feel discontented or resentful, longing aroused by someone else's possessions or qualities, you're led to, to a strong desire to achieve something but lacking all consideration for others and concerned chiefly with your own personal profit or pleasure. How much of our lives or your life did I just describe? You don't have to answer out loud, but just think about that. Feeling discontented or resentful longing aroused by someone else's possessions leads to a strong desire to achieve something, lacking consideration for others and concerned chiefly with one's own personal profit or pleasure. So I'm just going to leave that there. That's not too hard to understand. And I think all of us can feel the, the light, the God like turning the light on. It's shining it into like our motives and our thoughts and these kind of things. That's why it's been kind of messing with me for the last few days. But this is where the application starts to come in, okay? When I was saying like this isn't hard to understand, but you've got to apply it. Like the uh, selfish ambition doesn't include just, yeah, I'm jealous of my friend's car and I want the same car. I mean, yes, okay, yes. That's obvious and easy to find. You know, or like, yes, I'm jealous of this person's achievement, or yes, envy of this uh, person's house. I mean, the, the obvious things. I would also say to look deeper also, or wider maybe, not necessarily deeper. Your selfish ambition could just be being right in an argument. Or being seen as being right. You follow what I mean by that? Or looking good, or being seen with a certain group of people, or lo not looking foolish. That's one Etc. I wrote etc. because I, I don't know. I can't think of them all. I mean, whatever the thing is, you know, like, don't wait for me to name it. This is between you and God, you know. I, this is one of the commentaries I have. I was reading this. I just wrote the whole thing in here so you can just hear it. What James describes as selfish ambition, okay, they, which he was talking about, the religious leaders of the day, may have called standing up for the truth or keeping our group pure. The term James uses for it could also be translated party spirit. For they were forming groups or parties rather than standing for the unity of the whole church. To call these attitudes God's wisdom and thus to boast about them is to deny, the, to deny reality the truth of God. So one of the applications we have to be concerned about is not just the obvious, so maybe it's very obvious being jealous of somebody else's money or fame or car or whatever. And then the less obvious, maybe I just want to be right in this argument or proven or look cool or something. Very maybe not obvious is people mixing all this stuff up and calling it Christian and giving it to us as like a thing to follow. And he's saying no to all of that. That's hard to see through and requires a lot of prayer and uh um, understanding, and that's why 
you'd go, well, how do I know what the truth is? It's good. That's what he's thinking too. So he starts to immediately give you this list. But the wisdom that comes from heaven, the wisdom from heaven, he's talking about this. So you're saying you're wise. Show me with the, your pure life and your, your good life and your meekness. And then you're saying you're wise, but you want to fight everybody and all this kind of thing. And you're, but you're really just driven by selfish ambition. He's like, so what is the wisdom of God actually like? He's like, well, I'm glad that you asked because that's the next thing. And he gives us a list. First of all, pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, there's that word again, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. And if this is making you go, isn't that similar? It's like, yes, it's a similar list to like in Galatians 5 where you find the fruit of the Spirit. And that's obvious because the fruit of the Spirit is the fruit that comes from our life, the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, all that stuff. This is the wisdom of God. They're the same thing. It's just like, like a different version of a similar list. But we can go through these really quick with some definitions very briefly. Very briefly. Um, pure, I think we all know what that means. Like we were talking about that last week. It's, it's not, it's unhypocritical. It's not twisted. Pure. Even a three-year-old kid knows when your heart is pure. Peace-loving. This one's hard. Seeking peace wherever you can and happy when peace comes. Or maybe in, for our day and age, not looking online for outrage or for things to make you outraged, all right? Not seeking out that, like being happy when something's resolved. Like, isn't that great? These, they put this back together, you know what I mean? This is the whole thing. Peace, loving. That doesn't mean that there's never going to be a time where you, you don't take action towards something, you know, so don't hear it in that sort of way. But peace, loving. That's our first inclination and our always goal, Okay? considerate, which is the opposite of being selfish, you know, when we talk about, like, you know, not being considerate of others. And Philippians 2, 3, and 4, you know, is just another example of this. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. That's pretty straightforward, too. That's Philippians 2, 3, and 4. So you can write that down if you're interested. Submissive. Again, guys, this one's going to be hard. What he's talking about here is submissive to each other. And we've, like, if you came to our last spiritual equipping class, we talked a lot about this, the body of Christ submitting to each other. You know, like if, when, it, you know, Paul's talking about that, like if you're a hand and you kind of just like, well, I'm a hand, so I'm better than everybody. And it's like, well, how are you going to get around without the feet? You see what I'm saying? And he literally gets into that stuff, you know. And so there's this idea of us submitting to each other and working together um, to accomplish God's purposes. And one of the things I saw in the definition of this it was a willingness to be corrected when you're wrong. Ephesians 5.21 is another place. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So, full of mercy and good fruit, which is just mostly talking about being charitable and giving towards others. Others-oriented, giving towards others. Impartial, which... A couple weeks ago, we talked in James 2 about favoritism and how that's incompatible with Christianity. So not giving favoritism based on, you know, your group, your, you know, you know what that means. And then here we have, again, sincere, which kind of ties back into pure. But sincere being true also, you know. And then the last verse here is like, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. This is kind of making reference. Again, these aren't new teachings. This isn't like, hey, guys, I got the hot off the press new stuff that you've never heard before. You know, that's not how church works, by the way. Like, 
when we were up here praying for a revival, I was, it was dawning on me that I was like, you know, our church here is awesome, and I'm really happy with all of us and what we're doing, and I think it's great. But we have nothing to offer this world except what we were just praying for. We have the good news that Jesus is Lord, and all that that means, all that that entails, Jesus Christ is Lord and all-powerful, and his, his life-changing um, salvation that brings the Holy Spirit into our lives, that's it. And you're like, well, that's going to solve the problems? Yes, that is it. There's really not anything else. The rest of it is kind of just applying that like we're doing now, but it's like that's the whole thing. And you know what? Across the street, that's the same thing they got. And down the street, it's the same thing all of them got. Like the only thing that you have as a Christian person that's of any value is that. That's it. And just praying that it could make its way into our lives more and into other people's lives, that's it. So when he's saying this, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. He's not like, he's almost even making reference. Like here's Isaiah 32, 17. The fruit of that righteousness will be peace. It's a fact. Oh, I have it written down wrong. Either way, you get the point. Been around for a long time. Kayla, come on up here. I'm going to close this out. Because, especially for me, this meekness thing is very difficult. Um, I don't know how, if everybody struggles with this. I struggle with this. But then it was... I was, it was dawning on me, this whole thing. So James is speaking to people who are tempted towards radical revolution, violent action, because their lives are being made more difficult, and using a religious guise to uh, kind of paste over that selfish ambition and all that that they're trying to do in their day. And he's saying, no, that's wrong, right? And I find a lot of resonance to a lot of things I see around the church these days in that capacity. We don't need to get into it specifically. I'll talk to you if you want. But the, uh, it made me think of when we were going through John, Jesus' arrest, right? Because it's like, I struggle with this meekness thing. I struggle with it. But Jesus didn't. And I'll just paraphrase. If you go to John 18, 19, you remember after he'd sat with his disciples and told them everything was going to happen and prayed for them like, you need, it's, you know, you know you're, I'm sending you out in this world, all this stuff, you know. And then they go, and then Jesus gets arrested. And you see at them saying, we're here for the, you know, Jesus is like, I am he. And when he says that, they fall to the ground. And I know I bring that up a lot, but it's kind of funny. And it's kind of like, you know, like I said just a minute ago, that's really the truth. You know, sometimes people can't see it all. And most of the guys that I'm about to paraphrase here, they don't see it all. They ultimately killed Jesus. But he just says who he is, and they fall to the ground. But eventually they get up and they arrest him, you know. And he has this kind of like, what's, what's the big deal, guys? I said I was here, you know, and then they arrest him. But then Peter, like me, or maybe like you, he's like, this is wrong. You shouldn't be arresting God. I'm going to kill some people. And so he gets out there and starts to try to, you know. And then Peter, Jesus is like, no, stop. What are you doing? And he has to heal a guy, you know. And then they take Jesus, and then, and then Peter, who had... For, so, again, use Peter as a guide for ourselves here. So Peter, like, I'm standing up for Jesus. And then, like, what I'm doing is ending up, like, stabbing other people. And then Jesus has to say, hey, stop, Brian, from doing that. Now I have to heal the guy that you just stabbed, you know. And then Peter had just said to Jesus, like, hey, man, I'll even die for you, you know. And then 
Immediately after this, he gets called out and he denies Jesus the first time. So he goes from like, I'll even die for you to like, I don't know who this guy is, you know. Then they go. And then Jesus stands before the high priest. And he doesn't, he just says like, I haven't taught anything in secret. Like you're arresting me in like this secret way. Like you're trying, he's like, and then you're trying to make, make accusations against me. He's like, what do you want to talk about? Everything I said was public, you know. Then a guy slaps him for saying that to the high priest. Jesus could have been like, and the guy's gone, you know what I mean? And he doesn't do that. He asks him, like, what thing did I say that made you do that, you know? That's that meekness, that power under control. Jesus could have just wiped the dude out, you know? And frankly, if you question that, you know, I brought up that story in Moses. There's a couple other ones where things like that happen, and they talk about the ground swallowing people up. We'll get to it next year, you know? But, like, like God can do things like that. Jesus could have done something like that, and he didn't. That's not easy to do. The guy slapped him in the face for telling the truth, and he didn't just destroy him. <laughs> and then, they, then Peter denies him again, twice, two more times, you know. And then they send Peter over to Pilate, who's kind of like the governor of the area or something like that. And then Pilate starts to get, he's stuck in a situation. He starts having this conversation with Jesus. Really, like, well, are you a king or not? Like, you know, and then Jesus is telling him, you know, well, did you, did you come up with this, or did they tell you this, or, you know, and... He's like, I'm not a Jewish guy. I don't know. You know, he's like, are you king or not? And Jesus is like, yeah, I'm, I'm not, but my kingdom is not of this world. And he starts to confound the guy. He's like, you know, I, I just came here to reveal the truth, and everybody who believes the truth listens to me. And then Pilate says a very revealing thing. He's like, what even is the truth? He had the answer sitting in front of him, and he just couldn't see it, right? So Pilate's trying to keep everybody happy, so he has Jesus beaten. Because Jesus certainly didn't deserve. He certainly could have killed all those guys the whole time, right? If he's God, right? Let's just call it the way it is. If Jesus is God, meaning all-powerful, he could have killed them all, right? He didn't because he loves them all, okay? But he could have. I'm, I'm trying to emphasize the meekness part here. It's not what he could have done. It's what he chose to do. And he didn't do it. And then he's all, he's beaten, like, to an inch of his life, and he's standing there with Pilate again. And the guy, and Pilate's like, all right, are you guys happy now? I beat the guy up. And they're like, no, he's committed a really grave sin. They got their act together while he's gone. These are religious leaders, okay? Religious leaders, right? Religious leaders who have gotten too political, maybe, but religious leaders. And while they're beating Jesus, they figured out, like, hey, you know what? He claimed to be God. He claimed to be God's son. That's a big deal to us, Mr. Pilate, sir. And then Pilate gets freaked out because he doesn't know what's going on. He's like, whoa, wait a minute. There's a God we're talking. So he comes back and he's like, who are you exactly? He asks Jesus this. And then Jesus doesn't exactly answer, answer him the way he wants. So he, he says, like, he's like, Pilate starts to be like, you're not going to even talk to me? You're not going to even defend yourself? Like, don't you know who I am and what I could do to you? Don't you know I could, what I could do with, you know? Aren't you intimidated by the things I'm saying to you? You know? Meanwhile, he had just told us that Pilate was actually afraid. But here he is, over the beaten person that he's unjustly had beaten, standing before him, saying to him, like, aren't you going to talk to me the way you, you don't even know who you're talking to here? And Jesus doesn't, uh, Jesus doesn't fall for any of this. 
And Pilate gets, kind of gets freaked out because he's like, I've got myself caught up into something that's way bigger than what I'm, you know, used to. And then he tries to, it says he tries to free Jesus, but they, they cry out for him to be crucified. And that ultimately happens, which is the greatest evil thing in the whole world. God came to live with us, and we killed him. And God is so great that he can use this ultimate evil thing to bring salvation to the world. And through that story, you can hear that there's nothing you can do in your life that can screw it up beyond what God can do, fix, okay? But he's calling us when he says to the disciples, before this, I, I use Peter a lot because it's good because we're just like it. He just kind of says the thing everybody else is thinking, you know? He doesn't use his inside voice. or What is it when you say inside your head voice? What is that? Is that what that is? I don't know. You know, when you say something that you're, you're like, when you're like, we shouldn't, that's not what we say. Like, you, never mind. Is there an expression that says that? No? I got a shrug from my daughter. There is not an expression. But he says out loud the things in the Gospels often that the rest of us are thinking or would think. He just is the one who actually says them. And so we can use him that way. And when Jesus is saying to him before, follow me. And when he even says to him afterwards, when he reinstates him on the Sea of Galilee and everything, follow me. He's ultimately saying to him, remember to take up your cross and follow me. He's calling us to even be willing to endure this kind of thing. And he's giving us the most severe and extreme example of it to follow. And did the people of that day think he was weak? Yes. Did they mock him when he was hanging on his cross? Yes. Did they say, like, if you were God, then have angels come and save you or something? Did they say that? Yes. Did he promise that the things that he experienced, if we follow him, that we will experience that from people around us? Yes. But did he tell us how to treat them back? Yes. And he's commanded us to love them. And can we do it by ourselves? No way. <laughs> but through the Holy Spirit? Yes, absolutely. You can. You will. And that's how the kingdom of God comes just as on earth as in heaven and all. And you can do it. And every single one of you can do it. And it is absolutely 100% and forever counterintuitive to every culture of this world. And it challenges every culture of this world. It challenges every culture that's never heard the name of Jesus. It challenges the cultures that think they're a Christian culture and aren't. It challenges the cultures that left Christianity hundreds of years behind. It challenges every single one of us. It challenges the culture of your home. It challenges the culture of your school. It challenges the culture of your workplace. It challenges the culture of the chat rooms that you're in. It challenges the culture of Facebook. It challenges the culture of any of this stuff. It doesn't matter. It challenges all of it because no person would ever come to this conclusion and no person can live this way. And it is absolutely the only way that there's life, life eternal. And it's given to us through Jesus and the power of, our Holy, of the Holy Spirit living through us. And it brings, and it comes down in this scripture today kind of comes down to this. Are we listening to the voice of scripture, the voice of God in scripture, or are we listening to the voice of this world? Because the world is never going to tell you to go in this direction. Or are we going to say, well, why don't you fight back? Aren't you tough or something? Why don't you do something about it? Why don't you fight all the time? And he's giving you the answer that most of the time, just about all of the time, maybe even 
absolutely almost all the time you're motivated by selfish ambition and all these other things. But you might be able to guise it up like these guys. Well, I'm just a Christian. I'm standing up for the truth, man. And they're like, that's not what you're doing. And he's challenging that. And he's challenging it in a very extreme way. Are we filled with envy and selfish ambition, or are we living lives that would be described as pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere? A lot of times, this one I struggle with because obviously you know the answer to this question, right? We're all struggling in this area, and obviously you know what the right answer is to the man. We should be living lives that would be described as pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, good fruit, impartial, and sincere. And I'm being honest with you, half of that list sounds really awesome to me, and the other half sounds very frustrating, okay? <laughs> Normally you're like, when we get to the end of this thing, it's like, oh, that sounds so great. I love the Lord. Like, this to me is like, this actually sounds really hard, <laughs> you know? And I don't like the word submissive. <laughs> but it's 100% part of it. And I'm just telling you what your Bible says. So I put this down. What has captured our heart? It's kind of like what voice are we listening to? Are we listening to the voice of God or are we listening to the voice of the world? What's captured our heart? Is it this world or is it, is it the kingdom of the world or is it the kingdom of God? I'm going to close by reading this scripture here. And then invite time. Kayla's going to sing a song. If you want to come pray, um, the altars are open for prayer. We have people that will pray with you. And I invite you to, if the Lord's been messing with you, it's for your own good. You know what I mean? Don't let that kind of moment pass. Because God's been messing. I'm telling you now, God's been messing with me for this the whole last week. I'm still being messed with. But let's close with this. Colossians 3, 1 through 3. If you've read your Bible where you've been in church for a while, you've heard this. This is kind of a famous verse. But now that we've gone through all this, let's just look at this. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. You just got to put that you're saying, like, how did Jesus do? This is how he did that whole thing I paraphrased. And you can go read it, John 18, 19. How did he do it? He had his mind on things above. Not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Remember, take up your cross and follow. For when, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. I'm going to read it one more time without jumping in there. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So, Father, I pray that you would help us to set our minds on things above. You say, follow me. Teach us what how to do that, what that means. Lord, we receive the life that you've given, that we've given you our lives and we receive your life, as this says. And now I pray that we would have our minds on things above and not on earthly things. And that we would be able to live lives that are pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, and impartial and, impartial and sincere in Jesus' name. Amen. So sing with the stand. Let's stand and we'll sing this. And also, if you need to come forward and pray, do come forward and pray.
God, I pray that we would have the courage to follow you no matter what people say, no matter how people treat us, no matter what comes, for we know that you have the words of life and your love is everlasting. And we know ultimately that your yoke is easy and your burden is light. So, Father, I pray that we would be people that truly do follow you wherever you may go. In Jesus' name, amen. Go, if you have children, go get them. 